Well, that couldn't be more fitting with our topic this morning, talking about the, the Great Commission we've titled the, this morning, uh, He Said to Go, and we'll make some more sense out of that statement here as we go. But I was thinking about it last week when we were uh, going into the Easter service. I had intended to finish our series in the study of uh, Mark on Easter Sunday. I was thinking, you know what, that's perfect. Christ is risen. It's a celebration. It's a perfect way to kind of put the, the bow on the end of the series. But then I was looking at the second half of chapter 16, and I was like, you know what? We can't end it that way because that's not how he ended it. It wasn't just him risen. He was, last week we celebrated the fact that if you've embraced Christ, you're headed to eternity with him. But that's not how he left it. He recognized that there's a time gap between when, for most of us, before, between when we embrace Christ and when we actually begin our time with him in heaven and eternity and so it leaves us with a, 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 a gnawing question of this, so now what? So now what? Now that we've embraced Christ, we've accepted his work on the cross, what do we do with the time that we have left here on earth? In the second half of chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, we're going to be looking at this morning, speaks directly to that. Let me pray before we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for already your presence here, just through song, your words clear that when we're together worshiping you, that you're present there in the midst of that. That's a, just a sobering thought to think of you here in our room. We ask also, as we talked about the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would be doing a work in our hearts, speaking to us. So many times we've heard this message, we've heard our call but we've unfortunately grown numb to it. I pray that it would be breathed afresh this morning to us, that this message might not be for the person down the row from us, that you might even speak to us directly. We invite you now, through your word, to directly speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, it's a lot easier if we're all looking at the same passage together. Mark chapter 16 If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible to take home with you. Verse 14, we'll start there. says this, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Let's stop there for a moment, and I've titled this section, Go Starts with a Soft Heart. Don't miss the first couple words there that are pretty powerful. Two words, he appeared. He appeared. You think about it, the last time that his disciples had seen Jesus, think about the state that Jesus Christ was in sucking his last gasp for air, seeing his body completely mutilated, as you've seen in the Passion of the Christ, completely ripped up, torn up, beat up, there hanging on a cross. Then, to confirm his death, the Roman soldiers did what? They drove a, a spear through his side. So the very last image that the disciples had of Jesus Christ was him there lifeless on a cross. 
That was what was seared in their minds. I imagine a picture that would be hard to get out. I don't know if you've ever seen someone after they've passed or recently after they've they've passed. My wife and I saw a friend of ours that had been hit in Milwaukee by a bus just a few moments after he he breathed his last breath. And I still now 20 some years later can picture exactly what he looked like. There's something horrible about death that sticks in your mind. And that's what the disciples had in their mind. So when it says these words, I don't want us to briefly go past that, that he appeared to them. You imagine that encounter, all of a sudden, their unbelief, all of a sudden, their question marks, all of their concerns. Well, who is this? Is he actually the Messiah that he claimed to be? All those had been, were about to be put to death because they're about to encounter Jesus Christ face to face. Think about it still today, how many people, they'd say, I am not ready to believe because I haven't encountered Christ. Think back in your own stories, what a powerful experience it may have been in your own life when you first encountered Christ, when your path first crossed his. It may not have been seeing him visually, but there's some kind of a, a, a collision that happens in our lives when we encounter Christ. Well, for them, it was about to be face to face. You picture them in the room. There's 11 guys. And what does it say that they're doing? It says that they came to the 11 of them and they were reclining at table. Ever wonder what that means, what that description is? Well, you see in that that day and age, mealtime looked a little bit different than us. They didn't have a a traditional hard chairs that you sit in around a a table. They actually had pillows or cushions and had the food set out on the floor, maybe raised a little bit on a slight table but still reclining. For them, at the end of a long day, it was a process. It wasn't a a quick microwave dinner like so many of us throwing nuggets in the oven. This was was a, a legit time where the evening was spent together in fellowship and reclining. I don't know what reclining it looks like in your house, how you unwind from a day of, of work or wherever your day takes you. I know my house, there's a particular chair that I really enjoy finding my way to. It's our, uh, one, of those, one of those reclining chairs you sit back in, and pretty much Adrian knows if I'm heading to that chair, it's going to be a while before you see Scott again conscious. Uh, I'm the king of the power nap. I don't know there are any other power nappers in the, the room here, but if once I hit that chair, it, it's gone. You're gone. And I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, I'm not the only person that gets sucked into that. We have uh, elder meetings on occasion at our house. One night we had uh, all the guys in the room and we're talking through the agenda items on our, our list there. And John had sat down in that chair and I jokingly, John Irwin, had, I jokingly said, John, be careful, man. That chair will suck you in. You will be asleep. And he's like, I'm fine. I, I'm fine. No big deal. Not five minutes into the meeting, look over. There's mouth fully open. <laughs> fully out, right? Can you remember, remember this? And so I'm not the only one. I thought I'd tease John a little bit here this morning. He woke up and gave, I got permission. Yeah, I actually did. I texted him last night. And, uh, and, and you think about reclining. And I was thinking about that, how that relates to the posture that they were in as Jesus appeared to them. They're probably in the middle of their nap time or relax time. I wonder if this is what needs to happen for many of us here this morning, that we need to be woken up from the spiritual nap that we found ourselves in. We don't really know how we got there. We thought for sure we could sit and not get sucked into it. We would stay awake. 
the original passion that we had for Christ when we first came to know him would stay vibrant in our lives. But before you know it, much like John in the chair, you start to lose a little bit of that fervor, a little bit of that passion. You start to doze off, if you will. Well, Jesus found them in that state, and this was a little bit of a wake-up, I imagine. You imagine seeing the Christ that you had just seen a few days prior on a horrible Roman cross. Now, they're talking to you. You imagine you'd be on the edge of whatever he said. Whatever he was about to say, you were there. You were listening. You were totally t- tuned in to what was happening. It's interesting. You think, what does he confront with them? I love how Jesus pushes back a lot of our nice Sunday school pictures of of him all. But the first thing he does when he sees these guys, he starts rebuking them or correcting them. What does he address or confront in their lives, does it say? Rebuke them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. I think it's interesting that Jesus, there's a, a running theme in his life. The thing that he wants to go after more than anything else is our hearts, right? That's the thing that, that he seems to hone in on directly. The, the, the core of who we are, the, our, our hearts is what he seems to address. And I ask us here this morning, just as we're starting this topic, what's the state of our heart? What did he confront them for? For having hardened hearts. Would we describe our hearts as being soft? Is that a descriptor that we would use if we're being honest with ourselves? Would we say that it's soft? Is our heart soft to his promptings? You know the nudges that he makes when he's telling you to do something or not to do something. How's our our softness of heart there? Is it tender towards others? Somebody describe us. Would your spouse, if they described your heart, would they say it's tender and soft? Is it open to correction? Is it Most importantly, in the context of this morning, is it broken for the lost? How's our heart? How's the softness factor? Anytime we discuss our calling to reach out to the world with the gospel, it can't come from guilt or fear. They aren't lasting motivators. It has to start with a discussion about our heart. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Before he got into the great commissions, he realized that a true, authentic, sustainable outreach strategy has to stem from genuine belief and a soft heart. That's what he goes after. We don't need more facts or to hear more sermons on outreach. We need the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. That's what needs to happen. And that's where Jesus Christ starts. Before he could get to the go, he realized he had to address the heart issue. Second verse of the section there, verse 15, he moves towards the action piece. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. After a heart check, he gives very specific instructions. You see, the truth is verses aren't just to memorize, but they're to actually do. We actually, we really elevate verse memorization here in in our church. We have the WANA program and we, we really instill that in kids and we love the idea of memorization. I'm not belittling that, very important. But let's be careful not to just get committed to memorizing stuff and not actually doing it. I was thinking about an illustration that I heard of 
Francis Chan where he's talking about his son, but I'll do it from my context. If I imagine if I told my daughter Alexa to go upstairs and clean her room. How many of you have had that conversation with one of your children at some point? Now imagine a half an hour later because of some past uh, non-response issues, you go to follow up with your child. I go to check in with Alexa to see if she's actually cleaned her room. I go up just to follow up. Now imagine if Alexa is sitting there in the middle of a completely messy just crazy clothes everywhere, dolls, the whole nine yards, bed undone, sitting there. And she's like, you're, you're like, well, what happened? She's like, listen, Dad, let me explain to you something. I memorized exactly what you said. I can tell you verbatim every single word that you spoke. I, I can t- say it to the T. In fact, I had some of my friends from the church come over. We did a study on your words together. We prayed about it. We even looked at the Greek application to each one of your words. It was awesome. What would I say? Who cares? Did you or did you not clean the room, right? Did you or did you not clean the room? I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a verse memorization test at the end of our days. It's going to be a question of whether we actually did what we were told. Does that make sense to you? You think about Jesus when he was calling his disciples, when he invited them, he said, come and follow me, follow me. Do you you think there was a tangible move your legs, get off your butt and literally follow me? Of course, it wasn't the disciples saying, yes, Jesus, we're going to follow you with our hearts. We're going to follow you. No, there was an immediate action required, and that's the same idea here. It's not something for us to study. It's not something for us to ponder over. It's something for us to actually do. It's something that we're invited to. Go into all the world and proclaim. Proclaim what? The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel essentially is him, Jesus Christ. What's he telling his disciples to do? He's saying, listen, I want you to go tell everyone about me. Go tell everyone about me. If you think about it from their perspective, how hard would that have been? They had just spent the last three years of their lives, they had put all of their stock in him being the Messiah, being God in the flesh. And now he's standing there in front of them, risen from the dead, proving exactly what they had bet on. Are you tracking with me? They, that there would have been, I imagine, a little bit of the going around and saying, I told you so. I told you he was who he said he was. And so it wouldn't have been a hard appeal for them to speak about it. You see, when there's something you're passionate about, it's not that hard to talk about it, right? It's not that hard to get out and be dynamic and excited about it. In fact, you're, you're, waiting, you're, you're waiting to interrupt conversations because you're so excited to speak about it. My kids have a, a struggle with that where they have a tendency to interrupt grown-up talk with wanting to talk about whatever they're talking about. You see, that, that's the, the, the truth of it. And so my son, we saw this this past Christmas. Right after Christmas, 
I guess maybe one of his friends had gotten a, a toy that he hadn't got. It's called this, this video game system called Skylanders. Have you guys heard of this? Maybe not if you don't have ages. Where they have the action figures attached to the video game. It's crazy pants. Like it, it were, it, it's pretty cool. He started talking at, right around the, the end, right after Christmas. He starts talking about it. I'm like, Chase, you already got all your gifts, man. We're not, we're not going and buying Skylander right now. That's it. Like you're, you're done. You're, you're taking a break. I said, the next time I want to hear about this is maybe your birthday, which is the end of February. Well, that was a mistake because postponing this meant that I had to hear about Skylander every single day for, I don't know how many days that is, 60 days straight, everything about Skylander. He's watching YouTube videos on how to play the game once he actually gets it. I'm like, what is going on here? By the time his birthday came, I was more celebrating the fact that he'd gotten Skylander, I think, than he was. You see, because when there's something that you're passionate about, you can't help talking about it. It's not a chore. It's not like, oh man, I, I got to go talk about how he changed my life. Like, really? Like, how messed up is that when it's become that in our life? For the disciples, it was only natural. They couldn't help go, go speak about it. They realized that there's not two lines of people. There's not those that are invited to speak about it and those that, it's okay if you just stay silent. There's only one group all of us. I'm going to play this out a little bit further in our minds to maybe help it take root. If you think about it, God did all of the work on the cross himself. Did he ask you to participate? Did he, did he say, hey, you need, to, you need to take at least two out of the, la the lashings for me? No, do, do you need to take one of the, the, the one, one word of the scoffing? One, do you have to have a little bit of your beard ripped out? Do you have like, like, like no, he, he didn't ask us to play any part of that. The interesting thing is he called us to do the easy part. The hard work had been finished. Now all we're asked to do, if you think about it, the proclaimed piece is just talk about what he did. How crazy is that, that that's such a challenge for us, to, if you think about it from those perspectives. I have a, a friend, his name is John. He's actually uh, now a pastor, not, John, not my friend John here, but uh, he's a pastor in Chicago at a church downtown. And uh, I remember he was telling me the, the story of how he and a, a, I think a, a buddy of his snuck into, the, he wasn't proud of this, or actually he was kind of, uh, snuck into the Chicago Marathon on mile 24, so they could finish the race. I was like, what's wrong with you? Do you have no conscience? And, and, and conscience? And he's like, but you don't understand. He says, it was the fun part. I got to just run. I can do two miles. It's not too bad. I ran the two miles. He said all the fans were on both sides cheering. I'm running down. I got to cross the line. I took the medal. I went to the winner's camp. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, he's like, it was awesome though. It was so cool. I didn't have to do anything any of the work, but I got to enjoy all of the fun. I was like, man, first off, you need some counseling. <laughs> second, second, I was like, you know what? Isn't that a little bit of the Great Commission? We didn't do any of the work. 
We didn't put in the work. We didn't, we didn't pay the sacrifice. We, all we get to do is run those last two miles and say, look at me. Look at the, the I, I get to cross the line. I get to finish and just tell people about it. I get to sing the praises of the person that actually put in the work. Think about it from that perspective. It's not so bad. Not such a chore when you think about what God has invited us Do you think he needed us? Like, really? No, no, no. You're missing it. You're missing the idea. He didn't need us to complete the task. He chose to include us out of his kindness. So go involves proclamation. We get to run across the finish line. Another aspect here of go is go also includes training. Let me explain what I mean there. You may have heard or recognized the name George Whitfield. He was a famous evangelist, kind of the Billy Graham of his day. And after a, a huge crusade event where he had just spoken, someone asked him the question, and this is what we do in church world. We like to count numbers. He said, how many people do you think got saved there today? I think it was interesting to hear his response, kind of thought-provoking. He says, well, we'll wait and see six months to a year from now, then we'll know. You think about it, you see coming to Christ, salvation, it may start with a one-time event, but it's a process, right? There's a process of becoming a disciple. It's not a hand-raised type deal. It's a process of, of molding and shaping and redirecting our lives. Matthew 28, 19 gives the same account, the same charge, if you will. It's on the screen there in front of you says of adds to his words a bit a fuller picture it says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and listen to these words teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the day of the age you think about that if we're going to understand our calling clearly It's not just the proclamation. There's also a training element to it. What does it say? It says make disciples, not a one-time event. It says teaching them to observe, teaching them. There's a teaching element to it. You You don't just raise a hand and that's it. No, there's a process that we also get to be included in. You think about it, that's how Jesus approached things. He, uh, he took a, a few people, 12 in fact, and invested in them, poured in them, and, 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 and modeled life with them, did life with them, to, I'm sure had great discussions. And actually, his strategy is really the same thing that we're called to. It wasn't that he was thinking small and, and, and limiting his influence, He ensured that the gospel was embedded deeply in each one of them. We stand here today really as a testimony to his strategy for discipleships ourselves because it continued on, it carried on past him. I was talking to a senior pastor in Camarillo recently, I guess now it's been about a year, I was talking to him and he's getting closer to retirement. And I was asking him, and this is a, a good question to ask somebody that's in your field that's a little bit close to retirement, what would you tell the younger you? What do you wish you could go back and have done differently? It's interesting to hear his response. He said to me, he says, you know what? The one thing I would have done a lot earlier on in my career 
is I would have gotten more intentional about investing in individuals, about taking a few people and pouring into them personally. You see, about five years ago, he started a program at his church where they started having what they call quads, these discipleship groups where one person would really invest in three others and with the intent at the end of those, of that actually in that, in that setup was nine months. At the end of those nine months, each of the people that were invested in would then start their own group and invest in three other people and kind of the ripple effect. It's been interesting. Now they have over 50 groups doing it. They have impact all around the, the world because of these groups. So we came back to our church wrestling through what would that look like potentially for us. In the fall this last year, you might not know it because it was kind of a grassroots thing. We started four of these discipleship groups. They called them quads. We decided e-groups since Encounter Equip Extend, that's our core value. So these e-groups, we started meeting and I'll tell you what, it's been awesome. It's been so sweet just uh, spending time sharing life with people, uh, rubbing shoulders. We're, we're seeing that as the, the direction that we're heading in discipleship as a, as a church. And we're going to talk more about that to the men's breakfast coming up. And potentially something that o- over time would take over really something that's a part of what we do as an entire church. Because you see, salvation, it's a starting point, but that's not the end of the story. There's an equipping element that we see here. That we see that you pour into somebody, that you invest in them. That there's teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So make sure that we understand that what go includes. It does include proclamation, but it also includes training. See in this last verse, verse 16, that you go because eternity is at stake. Look at verse 16. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. I, th- I was th- thinking about that for a moment. I was thinking about, that's a, that's a pretty heavy verse. When you read that verse, you're like, there's a lot at stake there. If you think about what's happening there, he's saying kind of what we celebrated last week. If you've embraced Christ, you're going to be saved. You have eternity set and secured in, in heaven. It's an awesome thing. You have abundant life. For, but the, those who choose to reject Jesus' work on the cross. In essence, what they're doing is saying, I'm going to carry the weight of my sin myself. I'm going to suffer the consequences for my action. So we have a planet full of millions of people that don't realize that they're going to carry the weight of their sin. Think about what, what Christ went through on the cross, what it took for the almighty God to carry the weight of it. When it says that they're, that they're going to be condemned, the reality is that they're going to carry the weight of their sin for eternity. They will pay the penalty and it takes an eternity for them to do it. It's a lot at stake, right? You think about it. Can I, can I just be real? I'll just, uh, just direct for a second. You think about this for a second. How much... Do you have to hate somebody to not give them fair warning about that reality? Honestly, let that sink in for a second. How much do you really have to not care or be that cold towards somebody to be like, I'm okay with you carrying the weight of your sin for eternity? There's a lot at stake here. It's serious stuff. It's, it's not like, oh, well, maybe someday somebody might talk to him. No, there's weight to this. It says that they will be condemned, condemned. That's a bad, bad thing. And that elevates the importance 
of the call that we have. There's a lot at stake. The encouraging thing that I find at the end of Matthew's charge there in 28, he says, because we recognize this is not an easy thing, it says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ promises that we're not alone in this charge. He's not saying, go do this on your own and wish you the best. He's saying, listen, I'm gonna be present with you. The remainder of Mark, he unpacks the the, uh, miraculous things that he was gonna do through the apostles to, to get the good news out. But you think about it, some of us wonder, we're like, you know what? I don't really feel like very close to God. I haven't felt close to God for a long time. I wanna ask the question, Maybe it's because you aren't where he's at. He's out trying to reach the nations, trying to draw people to himself. Maybe we would sense his presence a little bit more if we were doing what he called us to do. Just a question. Just a question. Don't you, don't you wonder that? You might actually sense his presence and his power in your life if you are actually fulfilling the charge and the call that he's placed for each one of us. We know it's not an easy task. I've, I've thought about this before. I heard a preacher say that it seems like all the easy ones have already converted and we're just left with the hard people, right? So the, it seems like the people that are maybe soft have already embraced Christ. Now we're just left with people that have dug in their heels. I don't know if that's quite the case. It's not an easy charge, but I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth it. I believe that eternity will prove that it's worth the the cost. It's worth the investment. It's worth the risk of our comfort. It's worth the the risk of potential rejection. It's worth it, right? I don't want to put my head on the pillow and just be like, man, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would. I want to take advantage. I want to be my son with Skylanders, just waiting for the break, the pause in conversation where I can get my two cents in about Jesus Christ. That's what I want. Thinking, as you think about the early church, a lot of times you read the the New Testament and you're just like, man, those guys, they just seemed so on fire and it was just easy for them. They just took off and it was just so natural for them to talk about. I was reading in Acts 4 this last week. It's an account of the early believers. I found it fascinating that even back then, they still need to pray for boldness wasn't something that comes natural. It's not something that came natural then. It's not something that comes natural now. It's something that God has to do in and through us in order for us to be bold. I love Acts 4.31. We can put that on the screen there. Listen to this account of what happened when they actually prayed for boldness. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God actually responded to that prayer. The God that's the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, the one that doesn't change, he responded to that prayer. And I wonder here a couple thousand years later if he might respond to that same prayer in our own lives. If you started getting serious just saying like, God, this isn't natural for me. This is hard. This is, this is uncomfortable. It's not who I am. It doesn't align with my personality. I, I, I'm, I'm introverted. I'm, this, this is, this, it's, it doesn't seem natural. What if we started just calling out to God? God, please grow my boldness. Give me opportunities. Provide windows. Uh, pro- provide the words for me to actually speak. What if we started praying that? I would propose that the God that shook the room back then 
might actually still shake us up and do a work in and through us. I believe that. I believe he could do that in each one of us. And and the, the picture that comes to mind, if we actually started praying bold prayers like that of how we could impact the area in which we're in is awesome. It's awesome. You think about people having eternities redirected. If we actually took Jesus' word of saying, go, literally, not memorizing it, but actually did it, what God could do. Let me pray for us towards that end. God, we thank you for this text. And even though it's kind of, if we're honest with ourselves, can be a a thorn in our sides, can be a a form of, of some degree of guilt. God, but that's not your heart. That's not your desire. Your invitation was for us to get to be a part of what you're doing here. You're unstoppable. You're going to do what you're going to do and you're, you're just inviting us to come along for the ride. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss out on that and settle for mediocrity, settle for silence. God, I pray that you'd stir a fire within us, God, that you'd do a work, starting with our hearts, as we saw even in this text, that you'd wake us up. There's a lot at stake here, God. We recognize that even based on verse 16 there, seeing seeing that there's people that are gonna spend eternity paying the penalty for their sin if they don't embrace you having done it for them. God, stir in us, move in us, soften our hearts. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Here we stand, our hearts are yours. Those are pretty powerful proclamations we're making, right? I pray that you would maybe start this week by what if if over lunch today, you just had a conversation, you just brought it up. What would need to change? What would need to be adjusted in order to elevate discipleship in order to elevate proclamation in your life? What what tweak would need to happen in your schedule, in your life for that to become more of a value? I'd love that to be lunch discussion. God bless you. Have a great week.